0: There. I'm your host, TG Brandfault, and you are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast, where we try to bring you actionable information and normalize cannabis through the stories of Gontrepreneurs, activists, and industry stakeholders. Uh, today, I'm really excited. Uh, the, our guest is uh, Danny Sloat. He's the owner of Alpen Stash. Um, how are you doing today? I'm doing real good, Tim. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Like I said, I'm real excited to have you uh, on the show. Uh, you have a really, really interesting story, a real motivational story, and, and we want to get into that uh, sort of first. So why don't you tell us about your background, You know, a little bit about your personal story and, and how that brought you t- into the cannabis space?
1: Yeah, definitely. So shortly after I turned 21, I had some uh, pretty bad abdominal pain, uh, went to the hospital, had to stay, tests, all that good stuff. They couldn't find out what was wrong, so I was just put on a uh, regiment of opiates, um, you know, and then over the years as, you know, I still continued testing and trying to figure out what was going on, bouncing from doctor to doctor, the the opiates kind of increased. Uh, and before I knew it, um, you know, I was taking medication to treat the side effects of the opiates and medication to treat that side effects, uh, so on and so forth. Um, and then somewhere in there, on about 2005, I developed a nerve impingement uh syndrome called thoracic outlet syndrome. Uh, So I was dealing with that. I was dealing with um, loss of of nerves to my arm. uh, And, you know, again, more opiates tossed on top of that. Um, And then in 2009, I was diagnosed with uh, an acoustic neuroma, which is a non-cancerous base of skull tumor, uh, and that required surgery. So I was kind of, uh, from the age of Uh, 21 through about 29, I was kind of in a medical uh, funk uh, in which, uh, you know, I was prescribed high doses of of opiates. Uh, I'm sure the similar listeners are familiar with fentanyl. Um, It's kind of the new scary opiate, but I was was prescribed both patches and lollipops. um, and, And kind of in my point of view I was it was kind of I was like blindsided I had very much faith in the in the medical world and you know just kind of did what my doctors had told me to do uh before I knew it I was in a a really bad state physically you know after years of of opiate use and and other medications um you know kind of nothing was helping and I I was just getting worse um then I decided kind of as a, a last-ditch effort at the time um, to try medical cannabis uh, back in 2009. And uh, almost instantly, uh, I, I found relief from the pain, which allowed me to uh, taper myself off of these opiates that I had been on for, you know, seven, eight years at that point. And within six months, I was off all the, you know, all the medication. Um, I was on, I think, 19 different prescriptions at the peak. Um, and, you know, had dropped... Uh, About 80 pounds, uh, back down to a healthy weight, you know, re-engaged with life, uh, doing physical activities again, and uh, I contribute uh, both the use of cannabis, uh, but uh, almost more importantly or or even more importantly, the growing of cannabis uh, with kind of re-engaging me back into life. Um, So, you know, then I I kind of recognized uh, the value that cannabis had and decided to kind of make that my focus, and here I am today.
0: So, so you're not you're not one of those people who used cannabis recreationally as a youth, and uh, you know, and then sort of because because that, that's what I did. I, I used cannabis as a youth, and then you know, as I grew up, and the aches and pains started catching up with me, and and you know, sort of my own medical problems and, and uh, my own battle with addiction. I, I started using cannabis as, as a as a medicinal way, and that wasn't the path that you had taken.
1: Well, I mean, I'm, I'm from Boulder, Colorado, so I definitely had uh, my, my use of cannabis when I was younger in high school and things like that. But between, uh, you know, high school and the age of 29, I really didn't partake very much at all. I, you know, I, I found myself just not enjoying it. Um, so when I actually started it for medical use, I was pretty hesitant because I had had some bad experiences over the past you know few years. So I had gotten my card. Uh, in September, and I don't think I tried it till December uh, when I finally gave it a shot. So, And, and yeah. you started with one plant. Uh, yeah, so it's funny, actually, The uh, back then there weren't too many dispensaries that were obvious. I, uh, the first one I went to had a big neon sign, uh, and they gave away free clones with purchase. So, you know, I had uh, enjoyed uh, doing a lot of gardening, and specifically container gardening, uh, as a hobby up to that point, so I just sort of started growing uh, that plant. And then when I found the benefits of it, um, you know, I decided to go all in and, you know, made a, a lot of mistakes, a huge learning curve in the
0: beginning there so, so tell me about that tell me about the experience of going from one plant to you know now you're now you're a registered grower you're you know you're, you're growing a, a, a lot of different products uh so, so tell me about going from that one plant to the registered grower tell, tell me about those you know what you learned and, and the obstacles that you
1: faced yeah, you know, it's, it's funny, as somebody that does this as uh, as a hobby and then jumping into the commercial realm, there is, there's, there's uh, there is, and I knew there would be a huge learning curve, uh, I, I took some steps to prepare myself, I, I spent some time going to school for horticulture, uh, and and, re- and uh, spent some time in the hydroponic industry, you know, all while uh, working to make this facility a reality, um, but there's been some major learning curves. I mean, you know, you really have to be on your game when you go from, you know, a home grow to a commercial grow. Uh, you have to take into account a lot of, you know, it's, it's much harder to control a bigger space. There's a lot more at stake. And, and that's actually kind of been the hardest thing is when you do it for fun and you have a dream of doing it professionally, um, you know, there's like a romanticized version of that. And then when you get in it, uh, all of a sudden now, you know, everything matters. And, and you know, the plant health, even though it was fine at home, now all of a sudden you care a lot more about it because, you know, your, your financial future and, and the goal you've been working towards for, you know, five years is on the line.
0: Well, and, and, and the Colorado market, the, the prices uh, in that market have, have fluctuated, uh, you know, a whole lot since the rollout of the market and until now. Um, how, how did you weather, how have you been weathering that storm?
1: Uh, yeah, so I mean, from the time we started uh, this facility to now the prices have dropped you know uh, some in some cases even 50% uh, while the taxes still remain high. Um, you know however it's it's been it's been kind of easy for me to weather the storm. The product that, that, that we grow is the top of the top shelf. you know there aren't very many people that, uh, that can offer the same quality product we can so there'll always be a market for that. Um, The thing that we've dealt with, though, is kind of, uh, you know, maintaining until a point where our brand is established and we can start uh, demanding the the price, you know, that our product deserves. So, you know, I guess for us to weather the storm, it was more uh, of a long term approach. Like, I'm not trying to get rich. I'm not trying to make money. Uh, you know, in the in the short term, I'm just trying to do what I love and and stay around. So uh, that that strategy has worked very well. and now we're seeing uh, the emergence, even more so of the kind of sewer market. you know you combine that with you know pesticide scares and and pathogen issues. and and you know we are actually in a, in a great position.
0: So, so tell me, tell me, uh, tell me a bit about your, about your strains uh, and, and how you came to decide that these were the ones that you were going to cultivate. These were the ones that you were going to offer.
1: Yeah. So, so the way that uh, Colorado works is there's a system called metric, which tracks, uh, it's, it's their seed to sale tracking system. So, you know, in, in a lot of places, and at the beginning, before metric is in place, you know, you could bring in strains and cuts and seeds from outside sources. Um, you know, if you had them at home or whatever, you could do that now. Uh, and when we started that, you can't do that. You have to get all your uh, genetics from an already existing facility on metric. Um Given how uh, dangerous that can be from a plant health standpoint of, of pulling in material from you know, unknown and untrusted sources, uh, I was really limited to uh, the strains that I had from the initial purchase I made that we had quarantined and gotten healthy. Um, and so we, we kind of picked the best there uh, and then started breeding them. Uh, you know, And since then, we, we've taken in a few more uh, cuts from other facilities, but it's really, really, really been limited. Um, my my passion is is in genetics and breeding, so I kind of use that uh, as sort of an ex- as an excuse, but sort of as a way to focus on, you know, making my own stuff so that I don't put my garden at risk uh, from unclean facilities.
0: Well, and and you you offer four uh, CBD strains, the CBD CBD rich strains. Um, this is starting to become a little more popular out here in Vermont. Uh, you know, because we have looser laws uh, than you know, probably not Colorado, but a lot of the rest of the country, and and it's readily available. Are you o- over there in Colorado experiencing sort of an uptick in the demand for CBD rich strains?
1: Uh, just a little bit, so. Those CBD-rich strains are something I'm I'm really passionate about, and I really believe in their value and in their quality too. Um, you know, I tell people when they're when they're trying to you know drink a beer or get buzz, they don't go to Everclear. Uh, you know, they want a product that that delivers you know flavor and good feeling and all that stuff, and, and the CBD strains is what I, I think is is a great product. Um, a lot of people though are are uh, really hesitant to spend their money on something that they haven't tried or they don't think it gets them high or or whatever reason they have so the uh the popularity of CBDs as a flower has been uh increasing but very slowly And
0: and you said that you were passionate about the CBD strains what drives that passion for you
1: Um first of all they're, they're really fun to grow um, you know the, the products are, are great you know very flavorful uh, good looking um, you know they obviously have a huge medicinal benefit uh, which I appreciate um, but the other nice thing about them that I don't feel like it's talked about a lot is that because often they have a, a lower THC content and because the CBD helps balance out the negative side effects uh, that can arise with THC um, they're really great smokes um, for almost anybody. I've had more often than not when I talk to people especially people that are my parents' age, they talk about smoking and getting paranoid. You know, oh, I used to love smoking, but now when I do it, I get paranoid. I take one hit of today's stuff and I, I, I just can't hang. Um, you know, they're able to try one of these CBD products and they, they get exactly what they're looking for um, from a relaxation and, and uh, getting stoned perspective, but as well as, you know, the medicinal benefits that change a lot of people's minds. I mean, again, I go back to that Everclear analogy. Um and, and I feel like that side of the industry is is hurting it and it's hurting the uh, image of it uh, for a lot of people across the country more so than it's enhancing it.
0: So I, I want I want to touch on a bit more about about why you you know you think CBD rich strains are a little more fun to grow and a little more about about uh, about your grows. Uh, but before we do that, we got to take a short break. This is the entrepreneur.com podcast. I'm TG Brandt.
2: This episode of the Gondrepreneur.com podcast is made possible by Name.com, a global provider of domain name, web hosting, and email services. Every successful cannabis business needs an online presence, and every successful online presence begins with a domain. From your website to your email address, a good domain is easy for your customers to remember, it looks nice on a business card or billboard, and it reflects the true identity of the project it represents. It's important to reserve your domain early on when you are starting your business, as you may find that the .com address for your preferred brand or concept has already been taken. If somebody has already purchased the ideal .com for your business, they might be willing to sell it, but if they aren't, you may have to get creative with one of the new alternate domain extensions, such as .co, .club, .shop, or even .farm. Reserve your domain name today at name.com slash If you are a domain name investor or venture capital firm interested in acquiring or advertising premium cannabis domains, go to the Gondrepreneur domain market to browse a wide variety of names, including strains.com, cannabismedia.com, mj.com, and countless others. Discover branding opportunities for your next startup and learn about listing your premium domain names for sale at gondrepreneur.com slash domains, sponsored by name.com. Hey,
0: welcome back to the gondrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, TG Brandfault, here with Danny Sloat, owner of Alpin Stash. Um, so before the break, you, you had said you know that, that CBD strains were fun to grow. Uh, I'm not a grower. Um, I have conversations with them, and and I've never really heard that. So could you sort of elaborate on on why they're fun to grow, in your opinion?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I'll start by saying any strain that does really well, looks good and smells good, is is fun to grow. Uh, What I enjoy about the CBD strains, uh, some of the ones we have, I mean, they look you know dank as it gets you know frosty and they smell great and with great structure and then you do a testing you come to find out that there's almost no thc in there and it's you know almost all cbd you know we're talking half a percent or less of thc and you know 24 percent of cbd and i just i love seeing the reaction of people that you know come across that and they in their mind cbds are are you know ditch weed or hemp it's just it, it doesn't look like something you'd want to smoke and uh, when you grow them you know they're quite the opposite um, some of them you know turn great colors they have great structure and they yield really well so it's just it's always it's always fun to grow something that turns out uh, unexpectedly awesome and a lot of these strains do I, I was at an, uh, an event here in Vermont and they had jars of,
0: uh, of CBD flour and I opened the jar and I was really shocked with the overwhelming smell of of citrus is is, is that something very common with these strains
1: yeah so i i definitely find that that they uh they definitely have a citrusy smell some of them have uh a little bit of like a almost like a cough syrup citrus to them too um for whatever reason and i you know i could guess but it would just be purely a guess you know they have it must be like a shared lineage somewhere but but the majority of cbd strains that i come across do have that smell not all of them do but a lot of them do. Um so so tell me tell
0: me about your your approach to growing you know it's it's described uh you know as environment environmentally responsible eco-conscious uh, t- t- tell me about that approach and and how you are incorporating these techniques
1: Sure so um, you know we do the, the laws in Colorado when I started were such that an outdoor grow is very hard to do so we, we do do indoors um, we use nectar for the gods which is a sustainably sourced natural uh, nutrient system that is handcrafted in Eugene Oregon um, they have the second largest rainwater reclamation facility in the state so all the water used for the the making of the nutrients is, is rainwater uh, most of the nutrients come from the byproduct of of organic and sustainable farms such as uh, bone meal or the byproduct of uh, you know the fishing industry gets crab meal and shrimp meal uh, and things like that so you know we start with the nutrients being you know environmentally sustainable and well sourced um, we also use uh Low wattage uh, lighting techniques or lightings. So um, I'm able to achieve what is no, what is kind of considered an industry standard for uh, a 1,000 watt light. I'm able to, to pull that yield off with of 315 watts. Um, so less power going in, less uh, energy required to cool that. Um, we also use a type of an AC system that is a water-cooled AC system, which is up to 30% more efficient. Uh, we recycle our soil. Uh, and we reuse our pots, and we, because we're using organics, we don't have to flush uh, you know, and collect a bunch of water that's been wasted, and one of the biggest impacts that the growing industry has is when you have salt-based fertilizers that uh, can cause a buildup into a toxicity, you have to continually uh, flush those out of your grow media, and then you have that nutrient-rich, uh, salt-nutrient-rich water that you're pouring down the drain, that gets into the groundwater, that gets into the soil, Um, You know, they're having big problems with that back east Um, and then another thing is is the use of synthetic nutrients Um, most of those synthetic salts are strip mined uh, out of the earth in a very uh, uh, Negative way and and sometimes they come from all over the globe Uh, I'll give you an example phosphorus, which is a main nutrient used in flowering is strip mined out of Morocco There's a finite supply of phosphorus in the first place. Uh, It comes out of the ground radioactive uh, Morocco can't have radioactive material, so they actually send it to the U.S. where we clean it of radioactivity, send it back to Morocco where they then bag it up and then send it back to America where we then use it. So that whole process uh, is, is very uh, bad for the environment in and of itself.
0: You obviously did a lot of, a lot of research on the environmental impacts of these things. H- how important was it for you to have Uh, an environmentally responsible facility and practice
1: uh to me that's very environmental Uh, or sorry uh, i'll redo that one uh to me that's very important um you know i just uh, the place that i grew up in in the country is you know just by nature most people are are pretty eco-conscious you know as time goes on and you know factory farming becomes more prolific uh You just see the problems associated with it. And and I felt like, you know, there is, our industry does create waste um, and does create a carbon footprint, but it doesn't have to be anywhere near uh, what the industry standard is. And and there's a lot of good growing practices, techniques, and these days uh, equipment that you can use to really, you know, be as environmentally sound as you can be uh, and still have a successful business.
0: You've mentioned a couple of times you know how the industry has changed in Colorado since you've been a part of it and so now, now there's even more new rules uh, in Colorado you know such as reducing the number of plants allowed for home grows um, how how have these new rules impacted the industry and what what was the the reaction to by your colleagues to these changes
1: um, well I, I'm kind of I kind of go against the grain of the industry uh, as I see it in a lot of ways. Uh, I, was, I and my company was totally for patient and caregiver rights. I, I don't believe in, in a plant count. I don't believe that home grows uh, or caregivers uh, take anything away from my business in any way. And actually, uh, I encourage anybody to grow a plant. Um, so, you know, not only is it therapeutic and it's fun to do, uh, and, and you can get a cleanest product as you want it to be. But you also see the effort that goes in. Uh, you know, one of the battles we face is, you know, we have giant corporations that are growing, you know, the equivalent of factory farming uh, cannabis. And, and here we are, you know, everything we do is done by hand. There's, uh, you know, there's two other people besides myself that touch the plants. Um, you, you know, we take all the steps to deliver the finest quality product, but they're all done by hand and, and really, uh, for people to appreciate that one of the things they can do is, is grow it. So I don't see that as an issue at all. The industry, um, there was a lot of lobbyists from some of the big corporations that were there pushing, uh, you know, these plant count caps. Um, you know, they see it as, as a threat to their business. And, you know, if I look at it from their side, you know, I can, uh, think, you know, I could see where they're coming from in, in a way that they're scared that their business is at risk because the products they deliver are, you know, achievable by almost anybody. Um, and so that's kind of the situation we're in. Um, but it doesn't bother me at all.
0: So you go against the grain on that issue. Uh, what's your take on social use proposals uh, in Denver?
1: Uh, I mean, I'm 100 percent for that. Uh, I would love to see that be available. Um, I mean, you know, first of all, because there's no reason it shouldn't be. Second of all, because, you know, of how available other substances like alcohol are and accepted socially. And another really important aspect is we have tourists coming in from out of town. You know, they can't smoke in their hotel. They can't smoke in their car. They can't smoke out in public, but they're here to enjoy Colorado. They're here to enjoy cannabis. And, you know, where are they going? What are they doing? There should be a good Uh, option for that. And I mean, it just makes sense. I can't see why anybody's opposed to it except for fear tactics. So I I want to
0: talk to you a a bit about your your partnership with uh, Front Range. Uh, We'll get into what that is. But before we do that, we've got to take a short break. This is entrepreneur.com podcast. I'm TG Brandfall.
2: At Gondrepreneur, we have heard from dozens of cannabis business owners who have encountered the issue of canna-bias, which is when a mainstream business, whether a landlord, bank, or some other provider of vital business services, refuses to do business with them simply because of their association with cannabis. We have even heard stories of businesses being unable to provide health and life insurance for their employees because the insurance providers were too afraid to work with them. We believe that this fear is totally unreasonable and that cannabis business owners deserve access to the same services and resources that other businesses are afforded. That they should be able to hire consultation to help them follow the letter of the law in their business endeavors. And that they should be able to provide employee benefits without needing to compromise on the quality of coverage they can offer. This is why we created the Gondrepreneur.com Business Service Directory, a resource for cannabis professionals to find and connect with service providers who are cannabis-friendly and who are actively seeking cannabis industry clients. If you are considering hiring a business consultant, lawyer, accountant, web designer, or any other ancillary service for your business, go to gontrepreneur.com businesses to browse hundreds of agencies, firms, and organizations who support cannabis legalization and who want to help you grow your business. With so many options to choose from in each service category, you will be able to browse company profiles and do research on multiple companies in advance so you can find the provider who is the best fit for your particular need. Our business service directory is intended to be a useful and well-maintained resource, which is why we individually vet each listing that is submitted. If you are a business service provider who wants to work with cannabis clients, you may be a good fit for our service directory. Go to gondrepreneur.com businesses to create your profile and start connecting with cannabis entrepreneurs today.
0: Welcome back to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast I'm your host TG Branfall here with Danny Sloat owner of Alpen stash um, So before the break I, I had mentioned uh, about your partnership with Front Range tell me what Front is. range is Tell me about this partnership um, I, I think it's super cool but I'll let you explain it
1: Sure so Front Range Biosciences is a startup bioscience uh, tech firm um, they are they have a few things that they're trying to bring to the market uh, the first is a type of cloning known as plant tissue culture uh, that's different than traditional cloning in that you take a very small piece of plant material uh, you essentially grow it in a petri dish and before you put in that petri dish you you clean it and you sterilize it so that there's no problems on the surface uh, and, and one of the interesting things though is when you put uh, plant tissue culture, uh, put, put plant tissue into culture um, if there are any uh, diseases within the plant uh, within the vascular system, those will come out in culture. So what they're finding is is that you know a lot of, a lot of material that they bring in from other places has uh, bacteria and fungus within the plant tissue. Um, some you know it it's still remains to be seen there's not a lot of research to say whether or not these are beneficial bacteria or fungus. Um, some of them certainly are not, but what they're able to do is uh, clean that out of the plant system. So what you get back with plant tissue culture, Um, is is a clean healthy clone that's been essentially sterilized and and been reinvigorated Um, so that's a great uh, technique there um, which by the way is used in much of uh, commercial agriculture production for many other crops Um, the other thing that they're looking at doing uh, is some genetic uh, and sequencing work down the future um, looking at the cannabis genome identifying genetic traits that are responsible for certain uh, you know aspects of the plant of the finished product, and then being able to breed based on those genetic traits. Um, so you're able to to bring a plant uh, to fruition uh, much sooner and and have it be much more stable. Uh, and then and eventually a goal for them is to be able to uh, use do plant tissue culture, but combine that with cryopreservation. So you'd be able to take a sample of a plant tissue, uh, put that on liquid nitrogen, and essentially keep, genetic material from which to clone from indefinitely, uh, in a clean state. So the idea is, is that you could have, you know, uh, a small freezer filled with, you know, every strain that you've ever come in contact with and be able to pull those out and grow them and then put them back into storage as you need. I mean that's that that's
0: it's futuristic, you know. It, it's cryogenics, and and these are sort of things that you don't you never think about are entering the space. Um, why'd you decide to enter into this partnership with them?
1: Uh, you know, they 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 approached us. You know, they uh, kind of pitched that to me. And I mean, I you know, I love science. I love uh, seeing where the future is going. I love these new techniques, and, and I just. It was it was an exciting opportunity, um, you know, not only to to be able to have access to that, but just to watch it happen and, and be, you know, not not so removed from it. Um, just, you know, it was just a, I mean, how could I say no?
0: So I I I see a lot um and hear a lot when when people bring up you know when they say the term biosciences you know people automatically think oh this is big pharma oh these are people who are going to come in and take over the cottage industry and um but these 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 partnerships are really important especially for research which you know is is obviously very little of and and hard to do um w- what do you think is the the importance of these types of partnerships?
1: Um, well, I mean, I think the research is is a huge key. You know, for for many reasons. You know, anywhere from proper uh, pest control and management to sustainable and, and better growing practices uh, to disease diagnosis. I mean, all these things. You know, that that are, are commonplace in every other crop. You know, a, a tomato. You know, there has been millions and millions of dollars on research done on tomatoes, and that needs to happen in the in the cannabis space. And, and certainly some people will use that, go towards the more GMO, um, you know, Monsanto side of things. Unfortunately, I think that's inevitable, that that, given the way industry runs and the way agriculture runs, some people will go that direction. Um, you know, but from my standpoint of, of being... Uh, just a small grow that's trying to produce a high quality product you know having access to some of these techniques you know really helps uh, can help me you know in in the areas I'm lacking you know I don't have a huge facility in which to keep uh, a ton of genetics so instead what I'm able to do is you know keep clones in a smaller state and and keep a wider selection um, so that that can help me get you know kind of get to where I'm going so, you,
0: I mean, I can tell that you're super passionate about this and, and the, the path that you took to, you know, having your own facility and, and uh, entering these, these, these partnerships that, that will help us understand the cannabis plan a little bit more. Um, it's, it's really incredible. What, what advice do you have for other entrepreneurs looking to enter this space?
1: That's uh, a really good question. Um, so first off, you know, I would say, you know, think of what scale you want to be at and be realistic with that. You know, um, I use the craft beer industry as an example of this. Um, here in Colorado, there's a ton of craft breweries, um, but we also have Coors. So if you want to <laughs> exist as, as a craft brewery, you, you can, or as, if you want to make beer in Colorado, you can either go one of two ways. You can either be a small batch, handcrafted, uh, brewery that, you know, charges more per per can than uh, a six or a 12 pack of Coors. Um, you know, you have to, you survive because you, you're great at what you do. Uh, or if you have a billion dollars, you can be Coors. Um, most people don't have that much money. And even if they did, that doesn't guarantee success. So, you know, really identify what you want to do. And for people that haven't uh, ventured into the cannabis space, like do a ton of research and know exact what you're getting into. Um, so many people come in here with uh, with a lot of money, you know, thinking I put a million in today, I'm going to get two million out next year. And the realities are quite different. This is a, an industry that is uh, cutthroat. It's an industry that is, in some cases, saturated. And it's an industry that has a ton of regulation and takes a ton of hard work and knowledge. So really, really spend your time um, researching, spend your time vetting investments, spend your time vetting people that will work for you. Um, what I found is like the people that you employ matter so much. I'm very fortunate. My fiance works for me and we've got two really close friends, uh, that work for me and, and that's it. And it's a team that I trust. And, you know, they're willing to put up with the growing pains and they're willing to give maximum effort because uh, this is a team approach. And if we all do well together, um, you know, as a business, everybody succeeds. Um, And that's really important because at the end of the day, there's a lot of regulation. There's a lot of hard work. And I mean, you need the right people for the job. And those people are hard to find in, in the cannabis industry.
0: Well, I want to thank you for taking the time uh, for this interview. It's, it's really, uh, again, your, your, your stories is really motivational. Um, and, you know, I, I, I wish you guys the best of luck and, you know, hope to, uh, to, to see what comes of your research with Front Range. And, uh, you know, thank you again for appearing on the show.
1: Uh, yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Um, I really appreciate you know you letting me have a chance to to talk about something I'm very passionate about. So, where can you know. <laughs> people
0: find uh, more about you?
1: So our website Uh I have a YouTube channel, Alpenstash, So I give growing tips. Um, I believe in complete transparency, so I'm, I'm I share everything that I know. Uh, we're on Instagram at co uh, we're on Twitter at alpinstash, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you, if, if anybody has any questions, they can watch my YouTube videos. Um, they can email me dan at com, and uh, yeah, you can find me there.
0: Well, Dan, thanks again for being on the com podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much. You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur.com podcast in the podcast section of gontrepreneur.com and the Apple iTunes store. On the Gondrepreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news and cannabis jobs updated daily along with transcripts of this podcast. You can also download the Gondrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Sebastiano. I've been your host, T.G. Brandfall.